engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. It is 5.08. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, we've got audio of Stacey Abrams. She's down in farming uh, territory in South Georgia. I believe this was at Georgia Southern. Uh, you, you, Vidalia onions, blueberries, peaches, huge, huge industries in Georgia. Farming in Georgia is a major economic driver in the state. And according to Stacey Abrams, she wants to be done with that. Listen to this. I've got part of it. I'm trying to get the full video. I've got the whole quote from multiple people who were at the event, but listen to Stacey Abrams. Let's see. Where's the audio button here? Uh, I sold it for you, and then the thing was on mute. Here we go. Listen. A different job, because people shouldn't have to go into agriculture or hospitality to make a living in Georgia. People shouldn't have to go into agriculture or hospitality to make a living in Georgia. What's wrong with that? I, I don't think we force people into any of those industries. At least not in the 21st century. Good gracious. Uh, you, you know, the state has moved on, but it, because people shouldn't have to go into agricultural hospitality to make a living in Georgia, who, who's, who's forcing them into these, this is part of the problem with the Atlanta thinking that's kind of embodied in the Abrams campaign. It's, it's trying to build a coalition of white progressives and, and, and black voters across the state. So Atlanta whites and black voters across the state. And it's this idea that nobody wants to work in hospitality. No one wants to work in agriculture. Everybody wants the the trendy hipster job in digital media in Atlanta. Now, here, let me give you her full quote that she said, and I'm trying to get you the full video. I want to create a lot of different jobs. First of all, let's just stop right there. I want to create a lot of different jobs. I don't want any governor in the state to create jobs. That's called socialism, communism, really, but socialism, an economic system whereby the government has command and control over society. I don't want that. You should not want that. It has never worked well. Look at the boondoggles in California and elsewhere of governments trying to create industries. She says, I want to create a lot of different jobs. Because people shouldn't have to go into agriculture or hospitality to make a living in Georgia. Why not create renewable renewable energy jobs? Because I'm going to tell you a secret. Climate change is real. That's right, folks. You shouldn't have to go be a farmer. Instead, you should get a job created by the government in renewable energy because climate change is real. I, one, I, I find this condescending to people who work, uh, bartenders, waiters, waitresses, people who work in restaurants, the agriculture industry, that somehow they don't want to be there. Um, they would love to work in renewable energy jobs. Some people do have to work in the in hospitality industry jobs and whatnot because they're in school, they're trying to make money, or they don't have a college, an advanced college degree. They become a bartender. They make great tips. You know, this is one of the problems with liberals in, in New York are finding as the city of New York pushes more and more to get rid of tipping and encourage higher wages in lieu of tipping. People are losing income because there are a lot of great tippers out there. 
And it is this liberal do-gooderism here on display that bankrupts so many states. And I don't want Georgia to be next. This idea that the governor of the state can create jobs and that those jobs should be in renewable energy because climate change is real. Y'all, there's this thing called a free market. And in the free market, the private sector creates the jobs based on where people can make money. The government stays out of it, keeps regulations low, and the private sector does things. Here, here, you know, the Chamber of Commerce hasn't endorsed Brian Kemp. They, they, they want to stay out of the race. They're butthurt over Brian Kemp saying he would he would support RIFRA in Georgia. They're, they're really, I mean, the, the Chamber of Commerce will cut off its nose despite its face in this race. They want nothing to do with Brian Kemp because he would he would support RIFRA. They don't want anything to do with, with uh, Stacey Abrams because they think she would be bad for business. You would think they would go with the guy who would be good for business even if they don't like this one thing. This is how religious it has become for the Chamber of Commerce in Georgia over RIFRA, ironically. Here's the thing. Uh, for, for the Chamber of Commerce guys who they're, they're literally sitting this race out because of RIFRA. They, they refused. They had their big meeting uh, Abrams came and Kemp came and they chose not to endorse Brian Kemp because of RIFRA. Ponder how anti-religious the Chamber of Commerce in Georgia has become. Nonetheless, I mean, talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. Here is a candidate for governor in Georgia saying the governor should have the power to create whole industries in the state and direct people into those jobs. Who is condescending to the chief economic engine of the state of Georgia, agriculture. Let alone the hospitality industry. You got the Braves, you got the Falcons, you got um, the Hawks, you, you got Atlanta United, the people who work in the hospitality industries there. My goodness gracious, folks, the, the level of condescension that people shouldn't have to work in those places. What if they want to work in those places? She wants to create different jobs because people shouldn't have to go into agriculture or hospitality to make a living. No one should have to go into any job. Some people have to because of life circumstances. But the idea that the governor of the state of Georgia should have the power to create a renewable industry, renewable energy industry in the state because climate change is real. So we should empower the governor. You know, th there's a larger story here. L let me step back out of Georgia politics real quick. Um, you will remember if you went to school as I did in the 80s. You'll probably remember it if you went to school in the 70s. I, I was born in 75, so but I, I've, I've seen the National Geographics and the Time magazines whatnot. You know the big fear after, in the 70s, instead of global warming, it was a global ice age. But one of the things that stayed consistent was there was this whole idea, it was largely pushed by Canadian and Russian scientists back during the 80s, the, the Soviets and the left-wing Canadians pushing the idea that the United States was going to be a, a desert. It was going to, the, the central heartland of the United States was going to become a giant desert. And it was essentially a, a long-term push by anti-capitalist people that resources needed to be allocated elsewhere, not in the United States. 
It's really funny. The UN has issued its new climate change reports saying we've got 10 years to fix this. Never mind that five years ago we had 10 years to push it. Uh, 10 years ago we had 10 years to push it. And 15 years ago we had 10 years to push it. We're, we're way past the point of no return according to all of their other reports. And now suddenly just, just 10 more years if you do what we say. But they're back to the United States is going to turn into a giant desert. They're back to that. There is And, and so there is this push among climate scientists that we need a command and control economy, that the major scientists who are coming out of this global warming agenda are pushing the idea that the United States and other Western democracies need to embrace government centralized command and control economies like China to stop global warming. There is an air of that in what Stacey Abrams is saying. Because climate change is real, she should have the power to create whole industries in the state of Georgia, to hell with the free market, to hell with the private sector. You guys, you the agriculture and hospitality sectors are meaningless. They're bad. You shouldn't have to work in those. You should be able to work in renewable energy jobs. There is this other problem hanging out there. Brian Kemp is actually out with the plan to improve schools, including significant pay raises for teachers in the state. Stacey Abrams is refusing to even go down the road of pay raises for teachers. While Kemp is, she says it's not going to happen. She says he's not even going to do it. Where are you going to find the educated workforce for renewable energy jobs if you're not willing to take on the education establishment in Georgia? You know what Stacey Abrams' plan is for the education establishment in Georgia? It's, it's to perpetuate the, the status quo and punish people who want to send their kids to private school. She wants to get rid of the state opportunity scholarship fund that allows poor kids to go to private schools to get good educations. She wants to rein in charter schools in the state. She wants to go back to all the failed education initiatives that Georgia voters, black and white together, have rejected over the past decade. She wants to essentially completely undo all of Nathan Deal's education reforms that have actually improved education in the state. And yet somehow she thinks we're then going to have this massive educated workforce to go into an industry that she herself thinks she can create because of climate change. The whole thing is just ridiculous. Uh, have they have the Democrats just given up on trying to win? They're just even in, in Texas now with Beto O'Rourke. They're just going full progressive, uh, showing us what they really think, even though they can't win. I, I, that seems to be what's happening here. Y'all, with all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where our data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites marketing companies, your mobile provider, your internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they can often sell it to other companies who want to profit from your information. And you know this is true. You, you go on Facebook and you look at something and next thing you know, all of a sudden you see these ads. Or as a friend of mine did, you order a cheese plate on an airliner with your credit card. And next thing you know, on Facebook, all your ads are for that cheese company. Privacy is at stake these days. And when I'm at home, I don't worry about it. But when I'm traveling more and more, I use ExpressVPN to ensure my privacy. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background on your computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN only takes a click, and it secures and makes your internet browsing anonymous by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. 
So protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash E-R-I-C-K for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It's 27 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go to the phones. Carl from Tucker, you are up first tonight. Welcome. Hey, Eric. How are you tonight? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm great. Yeah, we watched that Stacey Abrams thing last night, and uh, just an interesting note was the introduction. The young man that introduced her actually introduced her as leader abrams <laughs> well they got a call so so she was the minority leader in in the house of representatives in georgia so technically <laughs> she could be called that but it's just so silly that because brian kemp is the secretary of state we got to call her something so we'll call her leader um did they speak russian afterwards uh no no but he was he was really on to the uh the thing of immigration so that was his biggest thing Oh, I'm telling you, um, it is, you you know, the more these liberals speak, the more people realize it's just, just not good. When we come back, I want to shift gears. Actually, I had some other stuff I want to talk about, but I, but I want to pivot early voting. I've got a breakdown on how early voting is playing out in the state, what people are seeing. And there's some new polling out about Brian Kemp and Stacey Evans, uh, Stacey Abrams. We will delve into all of that and the play-by-play here in Georgia when we come back. It is 40 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. There is light rain uh, the further west you go in the state. Uh, Everything otherwise, not too bad. I want to review some of the polling for you. First of all, one thing that, that I think needs to be remarked upon is just how similar the polling dynamic is right now to what it was in uh, the well, 2014 when we had the last gubernatorial race. That was um, Jason Carter versus Nathan Deal. And in that race, uh, Carter wound up getting 44% of the vote, deal about 52% of the vote. And the polling in the final two weeks of the race in October had Jason Carter ahead of Nathan Deal. Let's not forget that. The polling, public polling, had Jason Carter ahead of or tied with Nathan Deal in the final two weeks of the campaign. And Carter wound up getting 44%, Deal got 52%. But most of the polling, the the Michelle Nunn polling, David Perdue polling, and even the Carter polling uh, versus Deal polling in September and most of October very much echoed what we're seeing right now. A very tight race, um, a race where the Republican looks like they have more more of an ability to grow than the Democrat. There isn't a huge ceiling. Um, it, It seems to me that we have a very similar situation here now. And you have more polling. The AJC is reporting new poll out. I think it's their poll has it basically 47, 46 uh, Kemp ahead of Abrams. So statistically tied, but, but, but 
The president's approval is at 49%. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh's support is at 49%. Um, right direction for the, the country, roughly 50%. This doesn't really seem like a poll that would suggest that Abrams has anywhere to go. This is, a, again, most of the polling, if you look back historically, go to the Nathan Deal Roy Barnes race, go to the Sonny Purdue Roy Barnes race. The Mark Taylor race is an exception because Taylor did such an abysmal job running his race. Um, but all these other statewide races, it, it all seems to be very Republican. And the early voting trends bear that out. Here's the early voting data from the AJC. Uh, the Secretary of State's office reports 75,000 people voted on Tuesday. Uh, there were 70,000 that voted Monday. 145,000 early in-person votes have been tallied. 69,006 mail-in ballots have been returned. That 214,171 total votes cast is three times higher than the 2014 period. We're headed more towards a presidential turnout. Now, Democrats say roughly one-third of early voters who didn't cast ballots in the 2014 era, in the twenty fourteen midterm are now engaged, and that's kind of Stacey Abrams' strategy to win is to turn out those people. But there's a problem here, and, and Todd Ream, who's a Democratic or Republican strategist, rather, Todd Ream, Republican strategist, has pointed this out, and the AJC documents this. Uh, Todd Ream found that of the early votes, 49,000 were cast by people who voted in the Republican primary compared to 39,000 who voted in the Democratic primary. So you got more people who voted in the Republican primary casting early votes than the Democrats. 70,000 of the people who voted early cast votes in the 2016 pre Republican presidential primary, while only 44,000 did so in the Democratic contest in 2016. So it looks like the people who are turning out are actually turning out in Republican areas. And then there's this Todd Ream found as well. 15,220 of the voters who skipped the last two primaries came from counties President Trump won by more than 70%, which, you know, voters tend to, to vote in areas where they're the same. So you've got these people turning out from very Republican areas. The The data looks, if you're the Kemp campaign, you got to be thinking this data looks okay for me. When you take all of the public polling, and, and here's the, I think public polling is starting to go away other than polling will be done by universities and major, major uh, institutions. But a lot of the public polling out there is so bad. I mean, just consider, go back to 2014 when polling was not considered to be that bad. And the gubernatorial polling in Georgia was terrible. Pollsters don't do a good job in Georgia of polling, and they have it for a very long time. The ones who do are the private polling firms that we don't see. We don't see the private polling firms because the private polling firms are supporting the candidates and they don't release their private polling. The only private internal poll we have seen is from the Abrams campaign and they wanted us to believe she was ahead of Brian Kemp and no one took that poll seriously, including other Democrats. And then when you look at Abrams, the Abrams campaign has started screaming about voter suppression, uh, voter registration denials, um, a, a, Activities by Brian Kemp supposedly to deny black people the right to vote. Those aren't the signs of a campaign that's winning right now. 
the Kemp campaign is out there with a message of he's going to be good for jobs, he's going to get people working, and Abrams is going to wreck the economy. The Abrams campaign is out screaming about um, voters are being denied the right to vote. That doesn't sound like a winning message at the end either. Now, the, the, the media spit is that, oh, she's just trying to fire up her base. I'm sorry, it doesn't fire up your base when you tell them that if you show up to vote, you're not going to be able to vote. But that's the message right now. None of that looks like a campaign that's winning to me. I mean, I could be wrong. They could be having massive turnout, but none of the data seems to bear that out right now. It is 55 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Light rain in the area, particularly on the west side. Closer you get to Alabama, the more likely it is to rain. The Carroll County area has a lot of sprinkles, nothing heavy. Um, Elizabeth Warren's DNA test really has flopped. I mean, like really, really, really flopped. It's that you've got the media now attacking Elizabeth Warren for distracting everybody from the Senate races. You've got everybody's attacking her. I mean, even on MSNBC, that it's somehow self-serving. Um, this is not a good thing for Elizabeth Warren. And I wonder if she's actually going to run for the presidency. In 2020, I, I, I'm looking at this train wreck and I really am starting to wonder if she may now decide not to run for president after building up over these last several years thinking she was going to uh, her largely claiming she was going to. I'm I'm really now wondering if she's kind of thrown in the towel. It makes sense to me that she has because it's just not a good look for her. And now she's claiming she was bullied, or her staff is claiming she was bullied into it. No, she signaled she wanted to be a fighter. It makes no sense. We'll have one less Democrat to worry about. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. Uh, I want to try something I have never tried before, just to audience sentiment. Uh, I suspect how it's going to go. I'm, I'm actually somewhat curious, though. Um, the, I want you to text who you're going to vote for. The phone number for texting is three, four, five, three, four, five. Uh, all you got to do is text Abrams, Kemp, or undecided. Uh, it's three, four, five, three, four, five. Text Abrams. If you're voting for Stacey Abrams, text Kemp. If you're voting for Brian Kemp or text undecided, if you haven't made up your mind, to three four five three four five. I'm just personally curious to see how this shapes up. I'm what I'm actually interested in is the undecided number uh, because I, I think most people at this point know they're voting for Kemp or for Abrams. 
but I wonder how many undecideds there are, particularly in this audience. A, a talk radio audience tends to have the lowest number of undecided uh, people. If you listen to talk radio, you, you tend to be able to make up your mind on things. Um, that's not insulting people who haven't. I'm just I'm actually interested in those who haven't made up their mind. Um, and I know there are a number of in the Buckhead area in particular has the highest number of Republican undecideds. And I, I do think that has something to do with the way the Republican primary and runoff went down. I, I don't think those people will ultimately vote for Stacey Abrams, but they claim to be undecided. But anyway, if you want to uh, text to the number is three, four, five, three, four, five. Uh, Abrams, if you're for Abrams, Kemp, if you're for Kemp or undecided, if you're undecided, I'm not worried about the libertarian candidate and the other people, uh, who may be on the ballot. I'm just worried about Abrams, Kemp and the undecided people. Now, um, the media has begun to pivot and pounce on the Khashoggi story, the Khashoggi story being the story, the uh, writer at the Washington Post who has ties to Turkey, I have now learned, had some ties to the Erdogan government there, and he is rather aggressively, um, well, the, the, the Turkish government is rather aggressively pushing this story against Saudi Arabia, and now the American media has pounced on the president that his remarks on the American press are to blame. I want to play this montage of the media for you. We've got a president that has already named journalists as being the enemy of the people. So don't be surprised when other countries take on a journalist, murder them, chop them into pieces, and dispose of them. Did Donald Trump, who has always been critical of the Washington Post, always been critical of his ownership, did anybody in the administration, did Jared Kushner, did they give uh, MBS sort of a nod and a wink to say it's okay. The president expressing concern that Jamal Khashoggi uh, is a um, is a reporter. He's a columnist, really, uh, and, a, and a critic of uh, the Saudi government. That stands in contrast with a message that the president has frequently sent to the American people and to his supporters that the media are the enemy of the people. How do you square those two? I wonder if you look at what's happened the last 12 days and you wonder if enemy of the people rhetoric not just from President Trump, but also then from other world leaders, has anything to do with this, anything at all. You say I can't compare the two. You say because this, uh, the president's uh, attack on journalists is because of inaccurate and fake news reported. That's kind of the same excuse the Iranians use, the, Turk the Turks use, the Chinese use, and the Saudis use, right? Their issue is that these people who we think of as journalists are reporting inaccurate and fake news about those governments. So you can see the connection I'm making, right? Oh, uh, yeah, you can see the connection, all right. Uh, they're trying to lay the blame for Jamal Khashoggi at the president's feet. Now, we need to actually have a, a more substantive conversation about this. I, I've touched on it a little bit, but uh, there's something for you to consider here that I think we need to consider. This may I, I'm, this may be my topic for my syndicated column this week. I don't know. So it is exceedingly likely at this point that the Saudi Arabians murdered this Washington Post writer. Anonymous reports from the Turks claim they have the audio that, that Khashoggi, who again had ties to the Turkish government, that he had a, a audio feed. They claimed that he was murdered right after he got into the, there was no interrogation. There was no delay. They went straight to killing him. That they apparently held him down and began carving him up uh, while he was still alive. 
they eventually sedated him. Uh, he died in the process of this, and now the Turks claim that they then dissolved his body in acid and essentially flushed him down the drain. I First of all, I don't know that we should be. It looks more and more likely that, yes, the, this man was killed, and he was killed in the Saudi embassy. He was seen going into the Saudi embassy. He was not seen leaving the Saudi embassy. And the Saudis say he's not there. So if he's not there and all the security surveillance shows he went in but didn't come out, well, then he must be dead. And the Saudis were the only ones inside the Saudi embassy. They must have killed him. Uh, I think it's very plausible here. But I think what is equally plausible is that a lot of people are seizing on this to attack the Saudi government because they're really upset over the Iran deal. They don't like our close relationship with the Saudis. Barack Obama had a a real interest in undermining that relationship, which he did. His staff, uh, now in place in Washington, is pushing very, very hard to scuttle our relationship and impose sanctions. And by the way, I think sanctions are justified. If a writer for an American newspaper is chopped into pieces and dissolved in acid and flushed down the toilet in the embassy of a foreign country, we should be imposing sanctions at a minimum on them. But there is something else we do need to consider here. They're our bad guy. I know people don't like to talk about this these days. We supposedly have moved on from this Cold War issue. But the Saudis are our bad guys. And they help us advance our agenda against the Russians, against the Chinese, against the Iranians, and increasingly against the Qataris. I don't know that we want to get rid of the relationship. I don't know that we want to to scuttle that relationship. I mean, just it reminds me of Pinochet in South America. Pinochet was a man who, if if reports are to be believed from the left, loaded up communists on helicopters and dropped them off in the ocean. I got a buddy of mine who he he pushes the 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 helicopter stuff now that that we're we're gonna go full helicopter. Um, hi, yeah, this is this is the thing that Pinochet was accused of. But here's the thing. Pinochet also revived the economy of his country, ran out the communists, dropping them off into the ocean in helicopters, and saved his people from oppression. He was a bad guy, but he was our bad guy. And nobody likes to talk about this. No one likes to say, oh, yeah, they're terrible people, but at least they're on our side. But, you know, that's the way the world works. We don't get to pick our allies as as unicorns and puppies and all lovey-dovey. Sometimes we have to make deals with bad guys to save us from worse people. Would you rather, if if you were forced to choose an alliance, would you rather choose an alliance with the Saudis or the Iranians? So... All of these people rushing to say we've got to we got to dissolve a relationship, we got to punish these people, we got to do something. I certainly think there need to be sanctions of some kind. We can't set a precedent to turn a blind eye when a writer for an American publication is chopped to pieces and flushed down the toilet. We can't. If that actually happened, 
but you'll forgive me for thinking that we shouldn't also be in a rush to blow up this entire relationship with the Saudis because I would rather be allies with the Saudis than with the Iranians. And in the Middle East, we kind of got to pick a side. Y'all, with all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where our data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, your mobile provider, your internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, they can often sell it to other companies who want to profit from your information. And you know this is true. You, you go on Facebook and you look at something and next thing you know, all of a sudden you see these ads. Or as a friend of mine did, you order a cheese plate on an airliner with your credit card. And next thing you know, on Facebook, all your ads are for that cheese company. Privacy is at stake these days. And when I'm at home, I don't worry about it. But when I'm traveling more and more, I use ExpressVPN to ensure my privacy. ExpressVPN has easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background on your computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN only takes a click and it secures and makes your internet browsing anonymous by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. So protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash E-R-I-C-K for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It is 26 after the hour. Um, Y'all keep voting uh, to 345345. Text Abrams, Kemp, or Undecided to let us know if you are voting for Abrams or Kemp or if you're undecided still. Um, I'm Maybe I shouldn't say. I don't know. Um, so I, I announced this at the beginning of the hour. We've gotten over 5,000 votes so far. 5,000 votes in 30 minutes. Uh, We have a sizable listening audience. Uh, If you're driving, you shouldn't be texting and driving, but the rest of you text 345345, Kemp, Abrams, or Undecided. I can tell you what is very interesting here is that I have run the numbers preliminarily. Brian Kemp is winning 96.2% of the vote among our listener audience. Uh, there are actually more Abrams voters than undecided voters right now. There are still votes coming in. I can see them pouring in. Um, there are lots and lots of votes pouring in, but uh, Brian Kemp is crushing it with this listening audience, which does not surprise me in the least little bit, uh, just given given who listens. Um, but uh, I, I am interested in, in seeing how you vote. I am pleasantly surprised there are Abrams, Abrams supporters who do listen to this program. And I'm also very interested in the number of undecideds this close to the election. We may have to do some digging there. Nonetheless, uh, text Kemp, Abrams, or undecided to 345-345. I'm not worrying about the libertarian who doesn't have a shot uh, or any of the other candidates who don't have a shot. Just Kemp, Abrams, or if you're undecided. Actually, I'm curious about the people who are still undecided at this late point. When we come back, uh, we got to move on. I want to talk about the Gulch and Ben Sass. Why are people so mad at Ben Sass? It's 
It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Let's go back to the phones before I delve into any other news. Uh, Gerald from Alpharetta, you're going to be next. Welcome. Uh, thank you, sir. Sure. Uh, just a quick question because I feel this is more of a distraction than a Khashoggi thing uh, against the midterms. But in reality, my point is that how is this important to us, the United States citizen, to shift our attention to this? Because I understand he's not a United States citizen. Number two is that he walked into a situation that he knew that he was going into an enemy camp. So I like to have your words on this, and I'm going yeah. to jump off the phone to free up your cue. All right. Look, I, Gerald, I appreciate it. And, yeah, I kind of feel like you do that the media is making this a very big story because he was a prominent member of the media. He went to Turkey, where he had close ties to the government, and went into the Saudi Arabian embassy. The reason he did not live in Saudi Arabia was because he knew the Saudi government was out to get him. So why did he go into the Saudi embassy to begin with? It makes Or general consulate, rather. It makes no sense to me. Now, here's why it's a big story. You know how when there's a rainstorm in New York City, we get wall-to-wall coverage of it in Georgia on the national news networks? Because all the reporters live in New York City. Uh, We get wall-to-wall coverage of this situation because this guy was a prominent member of the media. But uh, it is a little bit bigger than that. There is a growing sense in our foreign policy establishment that um, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia is unstable, like seriously unstable. And this is another red flag that there is something really off about the guy. And so there are all sorts of red flags being pointed. But I got to tell you, Saudi Arabia is still our ally. Doesn't mean that they share our values. It doesn't mean that they don't cause us trouble. But they're still our ally as opposed to the Iranians. And there are a lot of people who want to make this a very big story because they want to undermine that relationship. That's part of the problem there as well. Um, it, it really, it, it should not be a story that gets as much media exposure as it is getting, except that this person's in, was in the media. Um, that has something to do with it. Rhonda in Grayson, you're next. Welcome. Hi, I just wanted to talk about the Abrams camp race. Uh-huh. And I, I wanted to say that I was listening to your statistics and I definitely think as an independent and African-American woman, that you are severely underestimating the power of the minority vote. First of all, when Barack Obama ran, black people came out in millions. And I think that with the hatred that African-Americans, I can speak from, have for Donald Trump for the way he's treated us, I definitely think it's going to fall over and Kemp's going to get some of the fallout because we're going to come out for Abrams in order to rebel against You know, I I do think the race will be a little closer than it otherwise would be because of that factor. Uh, But at the same time, let's keep some perspective here. Uh, African-American voters in Georgia are not as fired up as they were when Barack Obama was on the ballot and he still lost the state. You had higher voter enthusiasm for Barack Obama uh, on the ballot in Georgia among black voters and he still lost. Now, you can say there's been a big population shift, but there hasn't been a massive population shift enough to change that dynamic enough to put a Democrat in the majority. Certainly, Republicans are very mindful of the fact in Georgia that there is going to be a bigger 
wave of black voters in the state. Uh, Stacey Abrams has made it her business to get them registered and get them turned out to vote. But I'm just telling you that the actual numbers on the ground, forget the polling, uh, the actual early voting numbers that we know of that are turning out, you can trace and see who's voted. And the majority of the people who have voted thus far are people who have regularly voted in Republican primaries. And I have a hard time believing that those people are people who are now suddenly voting Democrat. Again, keep in mind, I can't tell you who someone is casting a vote for in early voting. But I can tell you that this person has voted in early voting or in elections in the past in Republican primaries. I can't tell you which Republican they voted for, but I can tell you they voted in Republican primaries. So if you're seeing a majority of people showing up for early voting and those people are people who have regularly showed up and voted in Republican primaries, you can presume that they're voting for the Republican this time as well, uh, even though you don't know for sure. And those numbers show that Republicans are turning out more than Democrats right now. Now, George from Marietta, you're next. Welcome. Uh, yes, I've been waiting for someone else to bring up the issue. Stacey Abrams is running two get-out-the-vote drives. According to AJC, she's drawing $100,000 a year salary from each. How can she do this when she's a candidate for governor? Well, there are independent corporations that she has formed. Brian Kemp is getting paid as Secretary of State. He's also got a side business uh, that his family makes money from, and he's running for governor as well. So that's it, it's not illegal in Georgia for someone to start a nonprofit and get paid from that nonprofit while running for office. Uh, a lot of candidates actually do. Some candidates actually pay themselves a salary from their campaign. At least she's not doing that. Uh, there's really nothing illegal about it. Um, this is what she her her living essentially is. She's a community organizer, and she's getting paid as such. Um, man, I I said I wanted to get to Ben Sass, but I felt like I needed to take your phone calls first. Uh, when we come, I'm going to go on and take a quick time out. When we come back, just a real quick word on Ben Sass. His new book is out. Uh, I'm ho- hoping to line up an interview with him as well and talk about it. But man, the level of hatred from conservatives about Ben Sass, who votes with the president 90% of the time, is just off the charts crazy. It's 53 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. So a word about Ben Sass real quick. Uh, his new book is out, Them. I have started reading it. I got a complimentary a courtesy copy last week. Uh, it's essentially on how by being as tribal as we become, and particularly by focusing so much online, uh, we are losing the ability to be good neighbors to each other uh, who agree to disagree on topics. And he calls out Sean Hannity in part of the book uh, for some of the things Hannity has done. And, of course, Hannity is going after him. But what I I really don't get is the level of hostility and hatred from Trump supporters. Ben Sass does not like the president. I I don't like the president either. Uh, I think he is a man of of immoral character. Uh, And uh, Sass has been rather prominent about it. But here's the thing. He votes with the president 90% of the time. And the 10% of the time that Sass doesn't vote with the president, it is often on minor things. There has not been a single major initiative the president has tried to get through the Senate uh, that Ben Sass hasn't supported, whether it's Brett Kavanaugh or tax cuts or repeal of Obamacare. Uh, even on immigration, Ben Sass aligns with the president and supports building a wall on the southern border. And yet the amount of Trump supporters who are convinced that the man opposes it and hate him, and, and this is why tribalism makes me so frustrated. And, and the issue is not even with the president these days, it's with a lot of his supporters. 
the, you you can't agree to disagree on that. You can you can say you'll vote for the president. I think I probably will in 2020. But yet I'm I'm not going to go out and apologize for the dumb things the president says. He had no business calling uh, his porn star mistress a horse face. And you, but you can't do that anymore. And, and Sass is unafraid to do that. And people are like, well, he didn't want to be in the Senate. Why is he in the Senate? I, I Shouldn't conservatives want people to be in the Senate who don't want to be in government, who feel compelled to go up there to say no on stuff? And one of the other big criticisms from Trump supporters about Sass is that, well, he just doesn't do anything. He doesn't sponsor major legislation. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, I, I wish more senators wouldn't sponsor major legislation and instead kill all the bad stuff that comes from the House of Representatives, which is what he does. Um, it, it, it very much seems like the, the Republican Party now is the majority party in the country, but there is a significant part of the Republican Party that wishes that it was more ideologically pure than a majority party could be. And listen, I am an ideological purist. I am a conservative. Um, but I don't have a Republican Party that supports conservatism. Ben Sass is more conservative than President Trump. He's not out there trying to grow government. He's not out there trying to uh, bankrupt the nation. He's not out there trying to do the strong man in Washington routine where Washington has, has is the be-all, end-all. I, I, I like that. I like the fact that, that Ben Sass looks on Washington very skeptically and thinks that neither Congress nor the president should have the powers that either one does right now. It just, uh, it's just, it's very frustrating to see that level of tribalism, to see friends of mine in talk radio hating on Ben Sass, who they agree with each other, like 99% of the stuff they agree on. But, oh my goodness, he says bad things about the president and thinks we've become too tribal, so we got to shut him down. He's actually right on the tribalism stuff. Uh, he really is. We are, all of us, uh, and I'm guilty of this as well, so emotionally invested in what happens to Washington, D.C., we are not seeking the welfare of the cities in which we're in exile, to quote scripture. Uh, and we all have to do a better job of that, to re-engage at the local level, not just local politics, but local charity as well, uh, to be able to fix this thing. And that's Sass's point in his book, is you should be looking local to your neighbors. 